Hey, it's Nick Raboy, and I'm joined with my co-host, Michael Lynn, and we're going to be talking with Dave Stewart from Vendrix. Um, so if you're interested in learning how you can manage your credit cards within your organization, uh, Vendrix is the product that does this. And through this podcast, we're going to learn how they're doing certain things when it comes to data security, how they're using MongoDB Atlas, and all the different things that they went through as a startup in the MongoDB for Startups program. The only constant in software is change. Software development, data, and all things MongoDB. It's time for the MongoDB podcast with your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Do you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself before we jump into the core material? Sure. Thanks, uh, Nick. So, um, yeah, it's definitely been an interesting journey up until this point. Um, you know, right out of school, started my career down in Savannah with uh, Kiwit. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Kiwit's a multi-billion dollar infrastructure contractor um, that's been responsible for building some of America's uh, modern marvels, uh, San Francisco Bay Bridge might be one that uh, your listeners are familiar with. Um, so down in Savannah, I met Joe Turner, our co-founder, and that's really where we kind of developed and came about this issue of corporate purchasing and um, how time-consuming it was and took us away from our daily jobs. Now, you weren't always a developer, right? You, uh, you were pretty much in the infrastructure business, right? Yeah, so I was uh, always been a problem solver, an engineer, uh, structural engineer by trade, and um, you know, kind of developer on the side. Um, you know, back from the original iPhone days in 2007 to trying to get them unlocked uh, in our dorm room to get them off of the Singular or AT&T network at the time on the T-Mobile, and uh, for whatever reason, just never really pursued development full time until you know the right opportunity came about here in the last year where we really wanted to get this product to market and knew that. You know, no one's going to give us money to go pay a bunch of developers or outsource our technology. So, um, you know, in order for us to develop and, and really innovate, uh, you know, that core group has to come from within. So, And your product actually came from a personal need, not just a need that you've seen overall. Yeah. So um, to give our users just background on corporate purchasing in general is you kind of have two methods. One is your traditional PO expense you know, workflow, you put in a purchase request, get a quote, send it to the vendor, that vendor fulfills that order. Well, once that vendor fulfills that order, you're only halfway done because then you have the invoice that shows up a week, two weeks into the month. And that invoice has to get routed through the company to the user who made the purchase, reviewed, approved, then generally a cut, a check cut or some other method of paying that vendor. And it's just very time consuming. Um, you know, there's not good data on it. You know, you're always seeing, you know, that data, meaning how much you spent a month down the road in your cost reports. So it's just not ideal. The other option is credit cards. When traditional business credit cards, you assign a overall limit, credit limit to that user. And that user is essentially free to spend um, on whatever he needs or whatever he wants. And sometimes those are legitimate purchases. Sometimes they're not. They're not. Then you use a traditional expense platform to, you know, expense and get those transactions approved. Well, you're not really approving the purchase because it's already been made. You're just approving where you're coding that. So that's where we developed Vendrix. And um, 
ended up here today. And, you know, Vendrix were, were, were different from your traditional PO expense management platform is that you sign up, a business signs up for the Vendrix card, and we issue you a business line of credit and a Vendrix card. And from there, um, we have control over what that card gets used for. So you're not expensing after the purchase has been made, you're getting that approval before. And if you haven't gotten that approval, we decline the transaction at the point of purchase. And that really gives businesses a good insight. So in regards to the approval process, um, is this something like, is there like a, a list of providers that somebody adds to your application? And if it doesn't appear on that list, then uh, it's it's on like an automatic deny list. Like if I, if I wanted to make a purchase to Dell, for example, would Dell have to be on uh, that as the authorized provider list, or maybe explain a little bit about that. Sure. So, um, you know, our, our platform is really geared around small, medium businesses to where when they sign up, they have access to our dashboard and our portal. And from there, um, they also have a business line of credit, right? So we underwrote them. So they can then go in and build budgets um, for how they want to break up that spend or that spend for the month or the year. And those budgets have members, which would be employees or cardholders. And um, certain members, depending upon however that business wants to set up that logic, can't make any purchase without getting approval. So that card is essentially useless. Others uh, might be approvers to where they go in into their mobile app and basically create a purchase. So you select, hey, I want to go to Dell, spend $1,200. I'm charging this to the general office IT overhead budget. So as a business owner, I can see that expense. Hey, we've now committed $1,200 for a new computer, new monitor. They haven't made the purchase, but you can see we're about to um, have that liability come against our credit. So once that transaction gets approved, we then open that card up to that vendor for that amount. So you can't take our Vendrix card and go to Walmart or Home Depot and spend $1,200. It's restricted to Dell. And we do that through a bunch of API, so through several API calls and some other logic that we've uh, built uh, core to our platform. That's, um, that's, it sounds like a, a level of control that uh, would be perfect for, for a startup or a smaller business. Who are you targeting? Who are your customers? So initially, our customers are construction just due to the high level of purchasing and the extreme amount of cost control that they do. But really, our product can scale to any businesses that want to make purchasing, right? We're trying to bring that ability to build control budgets and control your cash flow as a business owner while still giving your employees the ability to spend so that there's no lost time. You know, you can give our cards out to employees and, you know, when they need to go and buy a new keyboard or a computer, they can put the request in and it can get approved. And they're not sharing a card from an office manager or sharing one credit card in the office that then creates a accounting nightmare. That's great. So um, do you have customers that are, that use credit cards on a project by project basis, or uh, is it typically just management to the user? So it all depends. Um, some companies do end up giving cards out to their employees with a real tight credit limit. And what that ends up happening is their manager ends up getting all the charges or they end up borrowing their card and um, because the purchases still need to be made and it just creates more of a you know, expensing nightmare. Um, other companies have one card for the whole office or no cards at all and just deal with the pain points of having mm. to 
set up accounts and get POs. And and how long have you been in business? How long, when did you launch? So we plan on launching here into the month, in May 2020. Um, you know, we're planning on launching with three private beta com companies um, and really uh, getting our product out, getting it rated, um, getting feedback. So we expect that private beta to launch four to six weeks or to last four mm -hmm. to six weeks and then opening it up to, um, you know, not only contractors, but small, medium businesses as a whole. That's exciting. Perfect timing. Oh, yeah. So I guess um, I'm interested in how you came to choose MongoDB. Were you familiar with or using MongoDB with a previous project? So um, it really came when we were developing what we wanted our backend platform to run on. And, you know, traditionally I come from, you know, Ruby on Rails. And being that, um, you know, we're a very transactional intensive platform, um, we decided to go with Node. Um, you know, and basically JavaScript front to back. And uh, naturally, the benefits of the NoSQL-based database and, um, you know, Node's ability to scale over to microservices really, um, you know, created the right environment for us to get a product out quickly. And Mongo's flexibility with uh, just what we need so we can constantly be iterating, constantly changing. And as features need to be rolled out or as we need data, um, you know, Mongo offers that flexibility. So, um, you know, it's really something we've, uh, you know, I've started out with here in the last six months and uh, couldn't be more happy with. Oh, that's great. And you're using MongoDB Atlas, right? Yes. Atlas uh, um, just provides some pretty incredible, you know, services, especially for a startup. We don't have time to, 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 to read and research. We just need to get our product built, get it out there securely. And being able to deploy that and have that interface go quickly without having to spin up an entire node instance or have a separate node instance is great. It just allows us to, again, move forward and, um, you know, get our product out. And same thing goes for charts. Um, you know, we can quickly throw together to pull certain data out of our um MongoDB Atlas uh, cluster and see, hey, how many users, you know, pull in some of that GeoJSON data, where in the country are most of our users focused and, you know, what kind of spend are we getting on our platform? And that allows us to accurately forecast, uh, you know, revenue for the next month. So um, it's certainly a powerful yeah. platform. So so you, we kind of jumped jumped around a little bit there, but um, I love the fact that you're you're looking at Realm um, as a as a way to increase your agility, and then you mentioned MongoDB charts. So you're actually using MongoDB charts today? Yeah. So we're just using a real basic implementation, which um, you know allows us to again see data in in a real quick instance. Something that would traditionally require us to use something like Power BI or Tableau, we now have that built right into Atlas, and um, it, it just again it, it it's quick. We're not having to spend time a day or two figuring out integration, trying to connect, you know, data sources of a traditional BI uh, software suite. And, um, you know, that's, again, real valuable to a startup because time's limited. So. Absolutely. So in regards to how you're using MongoDB then, do you want to paint a story on uh, without uh, shedding too much of your secret sauce as far as your, your application goes, um, just how you're using Atlas uh, when it comes to what you're doing. 
Yeah. So, I mean, Atlas is our database of record and, and that is what holds our you know, users, companies, uh, transactions, and um, the ability to then relate all that data into a single API call is really pretty amazing. So when a user logs in and we pull that current user profile, we're sending to them in one API call all the relevant data and only the data, not extra of what we need to be in that React web app and that single page app. And that's really what's amazing is, is just the flexibility we have to control in that one you know, user profile call, um, what data gets rendered. And um, you know, that is, as, as we're building this out and developing and changing and pivoting on certain features, has really been an asset to us in saving dev time and not having to go back and restructure you know, how our database is laid out and those relationships. And so where are you running the React app, the, the app portion of the, of the stack? I'm sorry, Mike, you, you broke up. What was that? Yeah, where, where are you running the app? So we're, we're GCP, so we're running um, in Google App Engine. And then, uh, you know, that will initially be our uh, prototype MVP product. And then we'll be scaling that over to a Kubernetes cluster, um, you know, once we... Uh, Kind of have the resources and and, and get uh, um, you know hopefully by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So you've got a React front end. Um, anything running between React and the database? Maybe uh, an Express or Node yeah, back end. So, yeah. So yeah. So we have a Node Express back end, and um, mm -hmm. right now it's got, it's a monolith. But again, you know our platform and how we're building it is going to be able to easily get you know stripped away into a, a, a pretty robust Kubernetes cluster, you know, that will handle certain transactions, user signups, and, um, you know, kind of uh, allow us to, to scale as intended. So, And we briefly touched on this when we were talking about Realm, but um, anything specific in the mobile space? Are you looking at React Native or anything? Yeah, so um, initially just getting our product out, we're doing a single page web app and I'll allow us to, again, really iterate and listen to our customer feedback. And uh, then, yes, it will be a React Native, uh, <laughs> native iOS or Android app. And um, you know, that's where we plan on really taking advantage of some of the features that Realm has to offer in terms of data synchronization and you know, ensuring that our app loads and has good end user performance. So you're storing some pretty sensitive information, I assume, in MongoDB with uh, any kind of financial data that's associated to a credit card. What kind of uh, precautions are you taking in regards to security? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, we're, of course, happy to answer it, right? So um, being that we are a platform for controlling cards and controlling expenses, you know, we've gone to great lengths to you know, really ensure that um, we're tokenizing that data. And that card number, that, that PAN, is, stays with MasterCard um, so that we're only handling um, when those transactions um, hit our platform, you know, we know the user, we know the card, but we don't know the card number. So, um, but taking that a step back, um, with just data security in general, um, you know, we've adopted Google's implementation of a zero trust network, you know, which is, you know, context aware access and dynamically uh, granting access based off of what we know about the user and that device, along with obviously making sure everything's authorized and encrypted. So, you know, that's, that's one portion. And then the second portion is, you know, your encrypted data is only as good as, you know, the credentials and keys you have storing that. So, 
um, you know, implementing 100% hardware 2FA enforcement of all our employees and just really making security number one. So in regards to the stuff that you're storing in MongoDB, I, I imagine that you're storing a lot of sensitive information because you're dealing with credit card data, people's financial information. At least that's what I assume. Can you talk a little bit about how you're handling security? Yeah, Nick, absolutely. Um, it's a great question. And we've actually gone through you know some pretty extensive links to ensure that the data we are handling, we are handling it correctly. Um, and first to start out is, uh, you know, PCI compliance and credit card numbers. That That's the big question on everyone's mind. And luckily where we're situated is those numbers stay with MasterCard. So um, unlike a major retailer, we have no need to identify our customers based off of their credit card number. Hey, would you like a receipt sent to your email? Because we know you're the same user. So we do that by tokenizing the number. So that we can refer to that user and those transactions through a token, which is essentially useless to anyone else um, but us. And so that, that's the first part, right? It's just avoiding um, storing sensitive information as it's really not necessary in what we're doing. And then two is just our view as a company overall on corporate security. And you know we've chosen to implement Google's version of the Zero Trust Network. Um, which has a couple key principles. One is context-aware access, um, you know, dynamically granting access based on what we know about you and your device. And then obviously making sure that all access to services are through authenticated, authorized, and encrypted means. And, you know, we take that a step further with, um, you know, 2FA and hardware enforcement um, of our employees' credentials, meaning, um Every employee, whether a developer or entry-level sales, um, has 100% hardware authentication. So um, some of y'all might know that's Google's advanced protection. Um, so we implement that to um, really, if not eliminate the reduce of phishing attacks. I mean, because you can have the best encryption in the world, but if you have the keys and the, and the credentials, um, you know, that encryption isn't really going to do you much, much good. You're talking so, about FIDO-compliant um, uh, devices, right? Right. Correct. Yes. So a hardware key that you have to have in your computer and physically touch, not a text message to a FA or a acknowledge on your smartphone. We're actually checking to see that, hey, you said you're logging in from you know, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, is this FIDO device on that same network, hmm. not coming from a foreign network, which would you know, indicate a man in the middle attack? Great. Well, it sounds like you've got security covered. That's great. And of, of course, uh, in addition to all of those measures that you've taken, <clears throat> folks that are listening in, um, well, you're leveraging MongoDB Atlas, so you're probably aware of this, but we we always store data at rest in encrypted format and uh, data in flight is is always encrypted as well. So um, yeah, so that's great there. Um, so what's next for Vendrix? You talked about going live and, and launching. That's exciting. But um, tell us about the roadmap and, and some of the things coming down the pike for you. Yeah. So, again, our big push this month, May 2020, is to get uh, into the hands of three select businesses that we have working relationships with um, and really start iterating our product and, and really refining it. And then from there, just improving the user experience, um, you know, and that is through native apps and, and then just rolling out features and doing a, the, that feature rollout in a systematic way that are um, not only do they work and are bug free, but also are, are really what our customers want. And again, with the end game of 
saving them time so that their employees can get back to doing their job, not pushing paper, which is something that Joe and I as co-founders were real frustrated with is, you know, we're spending 20, 30% of our time pushing paper versus doing, you know, the job that we um, want to do as engineers. And then just rolling out other features. Great. So where can, if, if listeners are interested, where can, where can they get more information about Vendrix? Yeah. So head on over to our website, vendrix.co.co. Um, you can sign up and request a demo um, or just reach out, join our mailing list. And then obviously your traditional, we got links to our um, LinkedIn and, and Instagram and various social media uh, links. Any other shameless plugs you want to put out there? Uh, maybe your own personal Twitter in case people want to follow up with you after the show. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you want, um, uh, my Instagram is Stuart.ds. If, uh, you can follow me or mainly my dog, uh, out here in Colorado and our adventures, um, in the Colorado mountains when we're not under, uh, COVID-19 lockdown. Mm. <laughs> great. Well, it's been a great conversation and, uh, thoroughly compelling use of the technology. I'm really interested to see where this goes. Nick and I were talking earlier, we're talking already about having a uh, where are they now? So I'm excited to see what happens with with Vendrix. Um, uh, anything? Any last parting uh, thoughts or, or comments before we, we close? Yeah, out? I'd just like to mention the uh, the Mongo DB startup program that y'all have going and uh, being a part of that. Um, you know, and just an, another real attraction to um, you know the Atlas program is again getting those reviews once we have that implemented by implementation engineers and getting that time to ensure that, you know, we have optimized, um, you know, our indexing of certain key items uh, within Mongo to ensure that, okay, we're now going from a beta stage now to a scale stage and ensure that we can do that not only, um, you know, from a performance standpoint, but also an economic standpoint. And um, obviously the, the startup credits go a long way. Uh, as a startup in the early days of uh, trying to expand our runway to, to get to that next step and getting revenue in the door so that we can, uh, you know, be a self-sustaining business. So um, Mike, Nick, we really appreciate the support on that front. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to have you in the program and you know, while you're, while you're talking about that. So I'm actually preparing for a, a, a talk and, uh, I, I spend a lot of time talking with startups uh, and founders just like yourself. And um, are there other programs that you're a part of that, that do the same thing as the MongoDB for startups uh, program does, where we, we kind of extend access to the platform, access to, to technical expertise? Are, are you aware of any other or using any other startup programs like that? So we use another startup program from Google that has a similar implementation. Obviously, uh, you know, Google... Um, in their platform, you know, they're, they're really trying to get startups on their platform over some of their competitors, uh, you know, the other two that I'm sure everyone is aware of. And, you know, also getting that support and ensuring that, um, you know, we're implementing correctly. We have, you know, security measure best practices to not only review and audit what we've come up with and developed, but also getting that, again, that second opinion. Um, coming from a structural engineering standpoint, right, we always get feedback from other people, other engineers, and never put that ego saying that, hey, we got this. It, it's always getting that reviews like, hey, this is how we've 
design this implementation and these are the measures that we think will best control our risk and our risk to our users and getting input or essentially a peer review of of that implementation and you know that is, is so valuable um you know helps us sleep at night a little bit better oh yeah absolutely so nick anything else from you no that's we close it out? thanks for coming on the show dave well i certainly I really appreciate, appreciate your time invite. yeah special thanks to jersey fisher and stephen Tordzik for audio engineering Thanks to Rebecca Mosner for production and social media the podcast. Become a part of the community, community.mongodb.com. You can interact with other developers. You can let us know what you want to hear on the podcast next. You can learn more about how to use MongoDB at theuniversity.mongodb.com. You can find us on social media at MongoDB. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>